Well, one truth of our world today is that you and I, we live in a world of difference. I mean, we look different than others, and we think and behave different than others. This is a fact of life. And sometimes these differences can be fun and insignificant. Sometimes they're even complementary. I think of two friends who might come at things a little different, but they do it in a way that complements it. Or a spouses who marry, and they might think differently, but the differences come together and it, and it complements. Sometimes, as I mentioned, it's fun and insignificant differences. Right now on social media, there are these lists of people ranking their favorite uh, Star Wars movies or candy or musicians. There's people who are debating the best basketball player to ever live. I was recently hanging out with some friends, Taylor and Rich, and we had that conversation. And in my mind, it's clear. Michael Jordan and the Last Dance documentary testifies to that fact. But some people want to think it's LeBron James. I just, they're wrong. But it's fun. It's fun to discuss. It's fun to disagree and insignificant differences. But sometimes the differences in our world aren't fun. They aren't insignificant. And they don't lead to collaboration. They lead to division and even war. I want to ask you, take a moment and think of somebody. Someone, when you think of someone who's different than you and it leads to friction. It leads to maybe animosity, maybe a war. Who comes to mind? Maybe close your eyes and think of that person, envision them, and those conversations, the way they respond to things that just makes you mad. It just triggers you. You can open your eyes. You know, we find differences in the workplace. Maybe it's a coworker, and when you're working on a project, they just seem to come at it from a different angle, and you look at them and you just want to say, What's wrong with you? Maybe it's a sibling. The way they behave, the way they respond to something, it just drives you crazy. You just like, what's wrong with you? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you live in an apartment complex and you're woken at 1 a.m. in the morning to your neighbor above you feels like they're just stomping around on the ground and you just think, what's wrong with you? Why? Why are you not asleep? Maybe you own a home and your neighbor, you look out and they're installing that chain link fence. What's wrong with you? Great, now the property value is going down. Why do they paint their house that color? You just think, why would, do they do what they do? We live in a world of difference. We see it in the church and in houses of faith. There are people who interacting right now with these digital worship gatherings who have expressed, why is it shortened? We used to gather at this amount of time. Why shorten it? Others, it can feel too long. There are different views, different preferences. We live in a world of difference. The problem is that sometimes in life, when we get put into pressure situations, when the stress is heightened, those differences can be amplified and can lead to that division and those wars. We see in our present pandemic differences, different views of how to respond. There are some who are fearful of the economic implications. They're fearful of the government infringing on people's rights. 
and they protest. And maybe they're showing up at the courthouse or maybe they're just putting their views out on social media, but there's this fear and this view that thinks the government can't do this. We need to be able to work. We shouldn't have to social distance. And there's others who look at that view and they would say, what's wrong with you? We need to keep people safe. We need to prevent people from getting sick. And, and what happens in the stressful situation is we can turn our anger rather than the situation and the pandemic itself on those who hold a different view than we have. And we see this in our culture today. This, the, the anger is beginning to be heightened. And so how, friends, how can we in the midst of the differences of our world, relate in such a way that it brings love and grace. That's where Jesus goes to in our passage. In verse 12, he closes out this, this section of Scripture by saying, in everything, treat others as you would want to be treated. In the midst of the differences of our world, how can we relate in such a way that it leads to love and respect rather than anger and division. That's where Jesus goes. And he begins with this statement, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. And then he qualifies it by saying in verse 2, for by the standard you judge, you will be judged, and the measure you use will be the measure you receive. This is a proverbial saying that Jesus is offering here about discernment. When Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, he's not saying, do not have an opinion of someone's behavior. Many of us use it that way. We're like, when, when, when we want to do something that someone else doesn't like, we might say, don't judge me. We might be saying, don't form a moral opinion about my behavior. But that's not what Jesus is saying. I mean, if we see someone who is physically abusive toward another, we need to have a perspective of that behavior. We need to have a judgment on that as wrong. It's unavoidable. His point is we need to be cautious. We need to not judge unfairly that leads to personal condemnation. And so Jesus is giving us a way of wisdom. He's going to give us a way of relating in the world that doesn't judge unfairly, leading to personal condemnation, leading to greater division, but how to relate in discernment, how to be a discerning person. Wisdom brings discernment and understanding and perspective that can enable love and grace. Jesus uses three different metaphors, and let's look at them this morning. How we can, in a world of differences, be a person who loves. Uh, first, we see that we need to judge, we need to discern our bias, and we need to discern our hypocrisy. Jesus uses this comedic metaphor in verses 3 and following where he says, you know, to judge unfairly is to be like a person who has a plank in their eye, a big plank sticking out of their eye that's concerned with and condemning someone who has a small little speck. Jesus is using humor to illustrate a very important point about discernment. A few observations. In verse 3, Jesus says, Why? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? 
what? Jesus says, why do you do this? And the answer that he's surfacing is pretty clear. One reason we focus on the speck in another and not the beam in our eye is that it's, it's easier to see the issues of someone else. We natural find, naturally can find the mistakes and the shortcomings of other people. And we can dwell on those things. You know, we believe our beliefs and our views are the right ones. If we didn't think that, we would hopefully change our view. But as human beings, it's natural to just think the way I look at the world is the right way to look at the world. One mentor, uh, Robert Caldwell, who teaches a, a seminar and taught it at Scarlet City called Race and Poverty, he uses this uh, example, this illustration to illustrate the point. He says, he asks, what does it feel like to be wrong? What does it feel like to be wrong about something? Think not good, I don't know. And he follows it up with, the same way it feels to be right. <laughs> you see, we might be wrong about something, and as I look back on my story, there's so many things I was wrong about that I didn't know at the time. I thought I was right. The same feeling we have when we're wrong is the same feeling we have when we're right. We're just not aware. Jesus is saying you need to be humble. You need to recognize it's easier to find the wrongs and faults in others and miss them in yourself. But also, he points to our own bias. One of the reasons we focus on the shortcomings of others is we live in a culture of criticism. We, anytime you're watching a professional athlete and you're tempted to criticize them, just take a moment to step back and think about the situation. When you want to criticize that NBA player for missing that shot or that NFL player for not making that block and you're doing it from your couch, <laughs> have that perspective. Anytime you want to criticize a, a director of a movie, I can be critical. I, I like to think of myself as this movie critic, criticizing the storyline, criticizing the way they do things. And yet it takes me hours to get one camera set up. And even I can't do that correctly. We're tempted to focus on the shortcomings of others. And this leads, this bias blinds us. It blinds us from discerning the truth. I mean, in verse 4, he says, Or how can you see, say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there's a beam in your own? He says, how can you, how can you do this? When you have a beam sticking out of your eye, you can't see the speck in your brother's eye. Our bias can blind us. Uh, no, there's probably no greater example than politics. I mean, the, 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 the illustrations of political partisanship are everywhere. I mean, there, I've seen some Christians, they don't represent all, but they represent some who would quote the scripture to say we need to support the governing authorities. It is the right thing to do to support the governing authorities, and therefore we need to pray for our president, and we need to support President Trump, and we need to adhere to his policies. And yet, some of these people have been the very some ones in my social media feed who are critical and calling for rebellion of sorts against the social distancing policies. I just want to say there's not much consistency. 
There are I the the other week I was listening to an interview on NPR and there was someone who was critical of the President Trump and his response to COVID nineteen, especially they felt he was not being very open. His the White House was not being very transparent with the media. And then in that same conversation, they went on to compliment the Chinese government's response. And I just think, where is the consistency? The point here is not to criticize one or the other, but both parties do it. That when we are partisan in our politics, we can be biased to the shortcomings of those in our own party. And that can translate to all of life. We have biases. And if we don't take a time to evaluate self, we will not see clearly. And Jesus says, you hypocrite. First remove the, remove the beam from your own eye. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Jesus' point is not clean up your behavior, get it perfect, get it right, and then go out and be critical. No, his point is this. Anytime you see a behavior of others, if you see someone who you feel like is being rude and obnoxious and angry and insulting to others, let that be a check. Let that be a time to think, what are ways in my life when I'm rude or insulting or unfair with others? If you look at someone, maybe you look at someone who's wealthy and you think, why aren't you more generous? Why don't you give more? Why don't you do more? Use that as an opportunity for self-reflection. Am I generous? Am I caring for the needs of others? Rather than finding the faults in everyone else, Jesus says it begins with discerning yourself. Understand your own biases and your own shortcomings. But then that leads to another proverb that Jesus gives. And here we see in verse 6, the discernment here is we must discern the openness, the openness of others. He has this, this another proverbial saying, verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before pigs, otherwise they will trample them under their feet and turn around and tear you to pieces. Now, we might take some offense to this language. Jesus comparing people to dogs and pigs, but that's not really his point. It's not really his point. Jesus is making a proverbial saying about someone's ability to agree with where you're coming from. We have a dog in our home, a golden retriever, a golden retriever, and I love her. But on occasion, she can um, make me angry. Growing up, I baseball was very important to me, and I had one particular glove while I was in high school and playing travel ball, that was a great glove. I mean, it was expensive, it was nice, but it, that's not why it was important to me. It was sacred. It, it was a glove that when I wore it and saw it, it represented the memories and times of my life in this particular period. I loved this glove. It was important to me. It wasn't just another glove. It couldn't just be replaced. It had strong, sentimental, and sacred value for me and my story. And one day I came home, and Maya, she did not see the glove in the same way that I saw it. <laughs> when she saw my glove in reach of her mouth, she saw it as an object to chew on and to destroy. I came home and saw my glove torn to pieces, and I was upset and angry. But if I had sat down with Maya and I had lectured her and said, Maya, 
Do you not understand this glove is important and sacred? It's part of my story. And you chew it up. Why would you do that, Maya? Why would you do that? She would just look at me and blink. Because as a dog, she did not comprehend something that was holy to me. Jesus is saying there's going to be people in life that the things that you think are sacred, the things that you think are holy, the the things that you think are priceless, they will not have the same view. There are different opinions about what is most sacred and holy in life. And sometimes it can be frustrating and we need to learn how do we relate in those situations. I think of this in conversations related to race and racism and racialization in our society. There are some people who are who are very receptive to the realities of race and racism in our country and and quick to understand and adopt behavior and seek to be a redemptive presence in that particular issue. Other people are a little more open. They're open, but they're unsure. And those are people to converse with and talk with, and you can hear them out, and they can hear you out, and you have a conversation. And yet there are others, when you bring up race and racism in our country today, they are dismissive. They're not open. And in fact, talking about it can lead to anger and arguing. And them, as Jesus says, wanting to tear you to pieces and you tear them to pieces. They're not open for whatever reason, whether it's their certain worldview of how things operate or their perspective of race or they're just the, the culture that they've grown up in on what is right and wrong. They just are not in a place to be able to discuss. We see this with issues like race or a number of issues today. And we see it especially as it relates to our faith. And this is what Jesus has in mind in the passage. When he says, what is holy in a pearl, he's saying, there's going to be some people who aren't going to agree with his message, with the gospel. Now, for me, the gospel, my faith, the message of Jesus is holy and sacred and one of the most precious parts of my life and my story. I My life is committed to this message. When I look at the gospel of Jesus, I see the most compelling message in the history of the world. I see the strongest explanatory power. It, it, when placed at the center of my life, gives me now a view of understanding beauty and justice and equality and, and grace and love. But not everyone sees it that way. And how do I and how do we relate in a world when people disagree. You know, one approach in a world of difference is to feel threatened, to feel threatened by someone and to think, I I need to convert them. And so I'm going to suffer for Jesus and I'm going to preach it louder. And so we almost, we want to manipulate people. We want to use force. We want to come at them or maybe we're passive aggressive, constantly bringing things up. And how does it feel when someone relates to you in that way? Someone's always bringing any conversation to that matter of disagreement and you know what they're trying to do and it, it isn't helpful. Others of us, when there's difference, when in the difference, we can think, oh no, they disagree with me, so maybe my view is wrong. We can abandon our convictions of what we think is holy. Jesus says there's another way. It respects the view and it respects the person. It understands that not everyone's going to agree. And rather than focusing and channeling all of our energy 
on the differences we have with these particular, this particular person. We need to channel our efforts and look and see the people who are open. And friends, in, in America today, it can feel like the church is shrieking. And there are many who are leaving the faith for some good personal reasons for them. But when we look at the faith around the world, it is not. The Christian faith is growing and exploding in some areas. Are we focusing all our attention on those who are not open, not receptive, or are we open to dialogue with those who are? Jesus says in a world of difference, we need to understand everyone's not going to agree. They're not going to see what you think is holy as holy for them. And we need to be okay with that. We don't manipulate or force them. We need to channel our efforts to those who might be open. And then Jesus gives us this last example in verse 7. He now pivots. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, is Jesus presenting here this simplistic faith? This relating to God as a genie that if you just ask, he'll do whatever you ask? No. No. Jesus, the, his original audience, these, many of them would have been poor. Many of them were people who prayed and asked for God to provide something. And they questioned, or it didn't always come through in the timing and manner that they wanted. Jesus himself, just before the cross, prayed to God, asking that this cup, that the cross would pass from him. But Jesus said, but not my will be done, but yours be done. Jesus is not presenting a simplistic faith that says, ask God and he is obligated to give you what you want. No. Jesus here is illustrating who is open to what is holy. Who is the person that is open to the message of the gospel? Who is the person that can view it as a pearl and, and respond? It's someone who understands their dependence and need for their maker. It's someone who's willing to have a posture toward God of asking and seeking and knocking. And in doing this, Jesus, he beautifully pivots as a master teacher, he pivots because it could be tempting for his followers and disciples to be preoccupied with just discerning self and discerning the actions of others and whether they're open or not. Jesus pivots to put them in a place of dependence on God. That they are first and foremost human beings in need of God's grace. And in a world of difference, one thing that unites us all is this invitation. The invitation to come and be a part of God's family. That we can look to God, our maker, as Father because he sent his son, the one perfect person to ever live, to die in our place. The judge of all things, the one good and righteous judged 
was willing to be judged on the cross so that we could be pardoned, so that we could relate to God as Father, so that we could be part of the family of the God and and ask God and walk with God and have a personal faith. This is the invitation for all. And so this morning, as we think of this world of difference, and we think of the differences of others, whether it's your coworker, or your sibling, or your neighbor playing loud music at night, waking you up, or that person you imagined in your mind. Jesus reminds us here, every single one of them, regardless of whether you agree and and disagree in insignificant ways or significant ways, all of them are worthy of the blood shed by Jesus on the cross and invited to be a part of the family of God. And when we see God, the one righteous one, the one judge, is able to love others and able to love you and me. That can be the defining way that shapes how we view the differences of everyone else. This morning, as we, as we wrap up, typically I close in prayer. And, and I want to give you space and time to pray. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. We're going to practice that right now. I want to invite you. You can kneel if you'd like or stay seated or have a posture of humility, and to just pray to God, to ask him something. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for being judgmental toward others, condemning toward others. Maybe your petition, maybe you need to ask God for wisdom and discernment in how to manage a particular relationship. Maybe you need to ask God for a health Maybe you or someone you love is sick and you you are asking for God's healing presence. Maybe you are in a hard place emotionally, wrestling with the anxieties of life. I want to invite you now to take a minute. We're going to have some music and Pastor Mike's going to close us in a benediction in just a moment. But I want to invite you right now to pray.
Friends, receive this benediction from Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless.